The French Revolution, A History, by Thomas Carlyle, Volume 1. Book 7, The Insurrection of Women. Chapter 1, Patrolitism. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Peter Dan. Book 7, Chapter 1, Patrolotism. No, friends, this revolution is not of the consolidating kind. Do not fires, fevers, sown seeds, chemical mixtures, men, events, all embodiments of force that work in this miraculous complex of forces named universe, go on growing through their natural phases and developments, each according to its kind, reach their height, reach their visible decline, finally sink under, vanishing, and what we call die? They all grow, there is nothing but what grows and shoots forth into its special expansion, once give it leave to spring. Observe, too, that each grows with a rapidity proportioned in general to the madness and unhealthiness there is in it. Slow, regular growth, though this also ends in death, is what we name health and sanity. A sansculottism which has prostrated Bastilles, which has got pike and musket and now goes burning chateaus, passing resolutions and haranguing under roof and sky, may be said to have sprung and, by law of nature, must grow. To judge by the madness and diseasedness, both of itself and of the soil and element it is in, one might expect the rapidity and monstrosity would be extreme. Many things too, especially all diseased things, grow by shoots and fits. The first grand fit and shooting forth of sansculottism with that of Paris conquering its king, for Bailly's figure of rhetoric was all too sad a reality. The king is conquered, going at large on his parole, on condition, say, of absolutely good behaviour, which in these circumstances will unhappily mean no behaviour whatever. A quite untenable position, that of majesty put on its good behaviour. Alas, is it not natural that whatever lives try to keep itself living? Whereupon his majesty's behaviour will soon become exceptionable, and so the second grand fit of sansculottism, that of putting him in durance, cannot be destined. Necker, in the National Assembly, is making moan, as usual, about his deficit. Barriers and custom-houses burnt, the tax-gatherers hunted, not hunting, His Majesty's exchequer all but empty. The remedy is a loan of thirty millions, then, on still more enticing terms, a loan of eighty millions, neither of which loans, unhappily, will the stock-jobbers venture to lend. The stock-jobber has no country except his own black pool of agio. And yet, in those days, for men that have a country, what a glow of patriotism burns in many a heart, penetrating inwards to the very purse. So early as the 7th of August, a dom patriotique, a patriotic gift of jewels to a considerable extent, has been solemnly made by certain Parisian women, and solemnly accepted with honourable mention, whom forthwith all the world takes to imitating and emulating, Patriotic gifts, always with some heroic eloquence which the President must answer and the Assembly listen to, flow in from far and near, in such numbers that the honourable mention can only be performed in lists published at stated epochs. Each gives what he can. The very cordwainers have behaved munificently. One landed proprietor gives a forest. Fashionable society gives its shoe-buckles, takes cheerfully to shoe-ties. Unfortunate females give what they have amassed in loving. 
The smell of all cash, as Vespasian thought, is good. Beautiful, and yet inadequate. The clergy must be invited to melt their superfluous church plate in the royal mint. Nay, finally, a patriotic contribution of the forcible sort must be determined on, though unwillingly. Let the fourth part of your declared yearly revenue, for this once only, be paid down. So shall a National Assembly make the Constitution, undistracted at least by insolvency. Their own wages, as settled on the 17th of August, are but 18 francs a day, each man. But the public service must have sinews, must have money. To appease the deficit, not to combler or choke the deficit, if you or mortal could. For withal, as Mirabeau was heard saying, it is the deficit that saves us. Towards the end of August, our National Assembly, in its constitutional labours, has got so far as the question of veto. Shall Majesty have a veto on the national enactments, or not have a veto? What speeches were spoken within doors and without? clear and also passionate logic, imprecations, combinations, gone happily for the most part to limbo. Through the cracked brain and uncracked lungs of saint Eurouge, the Palais-Royal rebellows with veto. Journalism is busy. France rings with veto. I shall never forget, says Dumont, my going to Paris one of these days with Mirabeau and the crowd of people we found waiting for his carriage about Leger, the bookseller's shop. They flung themselves before him, conjuring him with tears in their eyes, not to suffer the veto absolu. They were in a frenzy. Monsieur le Comte, you are the people's father. You must save us. You must defend us against those villains who are bringing back despotism. If the king gets this veto, what is the use of National Assembly? We are slaves. All is done. Friends, if the sky fall, there will be catching of larks. Mirabeau, adds Dumont, was eminent on such occasions. He answered vaguely, with a patrician imperturbability, and bound himself to nothing. Deputations go to the Hôtel de Ville, anonymous letters to aristocrats in the National Assembly, threatening that 15,000, or sometimes that 60,000, will march to illuminate you. The Paris districts are astir. Petitions signing. saint Eurouge sets forth from the Palais-Royal with an escort of 1,500 individuals to petition in person. Resolute, or seemingly so, is the tall shaggy Marquis in the Café de Foire, but resolute also is Commandant-General Lafayette. The streets are all beset by patrols. saint Eurouge is stopped at the Barrière des Bonhommes. He may bellow like the bulls of Bashan, but absolutely must return. The brethren of the Palais-Royal circulate all night and make motions under the open canopy, all coffee-houses being shut. Nevertheless, Lafayette and the town hall do prevail. saint Rouge is thrown into prison. Veto absolu adjusts itself into suspensive veto, prohibition, not forever, but for a term of time. And this doom's clamour will grow silent, as the others have done. So far has consolidation prospered, though with difficulty, repressing the nether sanscalotic world, and the constitution shall be made. With difficulty, amid jubilee and scarcity, patriotic gifts, bakers' cues, Abbe Fauché's harangues with their armin of platoon musketry, 
Scipio Americanus has deserved thanks from the National Assembly and France. They offer him stipends and emoluments to a handsome extent, or which stipends and emoluments he, covetous of far other blessedness than mere money, does in his chivalrous way, without scruple, refuse. To the Parisian common man, meanwhile, one thing remains inconceivable that now, when the Bastille is down and French liberty restored, grain should continue so dear. Our rights of man are voted, feudalism and all tyranny abolished. Yet behold, we stand in queue. Is it aristocrat forestallers? A court still bent on intrigues? Something is rotten somewhere. And yet, alas, what to do? Lafayette, with his patrols, prohibits everything, even complaint. saint Rouge and other heroes of the veto lie in durance. People's friend Marat was seized. Printers of patriotic journals are fettered and forbidden. The very hawkers cannot cry till they get license and leaden badges. Blue National Guards ruthlessly dissipate all groups, scour with levelled bayonets the Palais Royal itself, Pass on your affairs along the Rue Taran, the patrol presenting his bayonet cries. To the left, turn into the Rue Saint-Benoît, he cries. To the right. A judicious patriot like Camille Desmoulins in this instant is driven for quietness sake to take the gutter. Oh, much suffering people, our glorious revolution is evaporating in trickler ceremonies and complimentary harangues of which latter, as Lustelot accurately calculates, upwards of 2,000 have been delivered within the last month at the town hall alone. And our mouths, unfilled with bread, are to be shut under penalties. The caricaturist promulgates his emblematic tablature. La patrouletisme chassant le patriotisme. Patriotism driven out by patrolatism. Ruthless patrols, long, superfine harangues, and scanty, ill-baked loaves, more like baked bath bricks, which produce an effect on the intestines. Where will this end? In consolidation? End of Book 7, Chapter 1